Good morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading is Matthew chapter 23, and we'll be reading all 39 verses. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men! Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, Anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we have lived in the days of our ancestors, we would, have, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. 
Go ahead then and complete, complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you, your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, uh, if you've got your Bibles there uh, or your phones, make sure you've got them open in uh, Matthew chapter 23. And uh, there'll be a question time afterwards. Uh, so if you've got any questions as we go along, pop them down and uh, get ready to ask them. That'd be great. Uh, and there is, uh, you'll find in your handout, uh, there's actually a, uh, a little handout. You can follow along the points there. And there's a text phone number you can text your questions to. Uh, if you can get reception in here, uh, on the, uh, the handout you get, uh, got this morning. Why don't we pray that God will help us as we look at his word. Loving Heavenly Father, you're a great God, and your Son is our mighty King. We pray that we would hear these words with the weight and gravity intended, and that your word would do its work on our hearts like surgery, revealing any sin, any hypocrisy of our own, bringing us to repentance. And may your word this morning show us just how great and wonderful a King and Saviour Jesus is, that he can save even the greatest of all sinners. Amen. Well, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, the place where the religious leaders had set up shop. Kind of like, you know, it's like you see on those, uh, you know, National Geographic or David Attenborough and you can, the volcanoes erupted and you can see that flow of lava coming down the hill and coming towards a large body of water and you know when it hits, it's going to be epic. Or like a, a group of hell's angels who happen to run into a group of comancheros at a nightclub or a pub or a stubborn child and their unyielding parent. You know there's going to be a clash, don't you? We know that when Jesus got to Jerusalem, things were going to go down and they're going to go down in a big way. Here he is, the rightful king, the heir to the throne, in the city of the king. Jerusalem. But instead of Jerusalem welcoming her king, as we've seen the last few weeks, Jerusalem ignored and rejected her king. The only people who welcomed Jesus into the city as king are people who weren't part of the city, the crowds that followed Jesus in when he rode in on a donkey. And they sang, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the people of Jerusalem, the leaders, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the the teachers of the law, instead of seeing his incredible miracles, instead of hearing his teaching, which they could not fault and could not find any problem with, instead of hearing and seeing all those things and recognising him as the legitimate king that he obviously is, instead they reject him and choose to assassinate him. And now, just a few days away from his death, Jesus, in complete control, lets rip. He reveals the cause and the root of this rejection of the religious leaders and its hypocrisy. And I I don't know about you, but reading that, man, Jesus really unleashes, doesn't he? There's some serious zingers in there. That's because hypocrisy is an evil that he cannot stand. Hypocrisy is an evil that permeates and penetrates and kills everything it touches. And so the level of intensity Jesus uses here means that we really need to sit up and pay attention to what he's saying. So you see in your outline the problem of hypocrisy. Point one, what hypocrisy is. Have a look at verse one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Moses was a prophet from long ago who led Israel out of Egypt and who, he is the one who God gave the law to pass on to the Israelites. He says, they sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Verse 5, Jesus said, everything they do is done for people to see. Verse 25, he says, you guys clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. And 28, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And if you remember a few years ago, uh, Boris Johnson and his Conservative Party staff. Do you remember Partygate? Does that ring any bells? In the height of COVID, you know, and and there are lockdown laws and there are restrictions that actually he as Prime Minister and his government have uh, have imposed on the people. Uh, and, And what are they doing? Well, they're breaking them all and having a big party at number 10. Uh, And... It's the hypocrisy of it, wasn't it? When it came out that everyone else is sort of hiding out and here are the politicians and the Prime Minister having parties and flaunting these laws that they themselves have introduced. Incredible hypocrisy. See, the problem back then with Partygate, but the problem with these religious leaders wasn't what they were preaching. See, otherwise Jesus wouldn't say that we still need to obey them in verse 3. These religious leaders were preaching the Bible. They were preaching the law that Moses had given, that God had given through Moses. It's not a problem with what they're preaching. It's a problem with what they're doing or that they're not doing the things that they're preaching. 
So they're more worried about convincing people that they're righteous than actually caring about being righteous. They're God's people at this point by name and not by action or truth. See, that's hypocrisy in a nutshell, isn't it? And how easy is it? I mean, it's so easy to be hypocritical. I don't even have to try. It happens so easily, doesn't it? I mean, how often do we try and curate, you know, a kind of more righteous than reality image, a kind of Christian Instagram version of ourselves? How often do we, you know, just in conversation, try and give the impression that actually we're better than we are? We're struggling with sin less than we actually are. How often do we worry more about people finding out about our sin than actually the fact that God's given us each other to help us deal with that sin? How often do we come to church or growth group and, and, and gig and act like everything's fine when actually in our hearts we're harbouring hatred and bitterness and envy and greed and lust and pride and, and guilt of sin that we know we have not repented of and put away and come to Jesus for forgiveness. It's so easy for us, isn't it, to hear these woes and think, oh man, those Pharisees, they were, they're, they're really getting it, they deserve it. And yet not to realise that actually we too fall into the Pharisee trap so easily and so often. So often we put our energy, more energy into covering our sin than fighting our sin. As we see these leaders, they don't practice what they preach. We're more worried about what they look like on the outside than what God sees on the inside. As we see Jesus expose them, it, it reminds us of the many Christian leaders we have seen throughout the world who have been at times exposed for just being like the people of the world exposed for not practicing what they preach. And Jesus warns the crowds and his disciples, and he warns us, he warns us not to join in that hypocrisy. But he also warns us not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Maybe you've had or known or watched or listened to a Christian leader or teacher or a youth group leader who taught you the gospel, who taught you truth, then along the line you discovered that actually they were hiding hypocrisy. But Jesus actually says be careful because it's tempting to look back and kind of look back through the lens of that hypocrisy and then write off everything they taught you. But actually Jesus says don't throw out the truth just because the teacher who taught you didn't follow it. He says, do what they say, for they sit in Moses' seat. But he also says, be careful, you don't join them. Point one, hypocrisy is caring more about looking righteous than being righteous and refusing to obey the righteous laws that we would hold others to. And it's really dangerous. Have a look what hypocrisy does. Point two, verse four. Jesus says, They tie up heavy 
cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. See, in their teaching with hypocrisy, what were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law doing? Actually piling people up with crushing, hypocritical weight of trying to earn a salvation that we can't possibly earn. See, when we, when we start to see following God and being righteous as something that we do and something that you know, we have to do ourselves, we're actually putting an impossible weight on someone. And so here the Pharisees are saying, well, we're fine, but you're not, and crushing the people with the weight of that. But how different is that to Jesus, who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, who actually came to take our burden for us, take away our sin, and free us from its weight and its guilt. Jesus says in verse 13, actually the effect of hypocrisy is that it shuts the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And here that actually those hypocrites are not converting people into the kingdom of heaven, but into a different kingdom altogether. Verse 15, you find a convert and you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. This hypocritical ministry of the Pharisees, when they got someone to join their team to come and be one of them and, and join in their hypocrisy, they actually cement that person further and further and deeper and deeper into the kingdom of Satan. Jesus says that hypocrisy hides the truth under foolish myths. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, look, if you swear by the temple, you make a promise, I promise to you I will do this, I promise by the temple. You say it means nothing. But if someone swears by the gold of the temple, oh, well, that means something. Then you have to keep your promise because you swore by the gold, not the temple. Verse 17, Jesus says, you blind fools. What's greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? See, you know, hypocrisy, when it gets in, it brings in with it all these foolish myths that blind us to the truth, that give us these loopholes where it makes sin and dishonesty and not treating our brothers and sisters in Christ in the way we should treat them okay, supposedly. Jesus also says that hypocrisy gets us so bogged down in detail and the minutiae that we actually end up missing some of the most important things to honour God and love and serve others. Verse 23, it says, you give a tenth of your spices. And so this is called a tithe, to give a tenth of what we have to God. That was what the Israelites did. And so as they... If you're a farmer and you brought in your harvest, you would carve off a tenth of that. If you're a worker and you got your wage, you'd carve off a tenth of that and you would give it to God. And here's the Pharisees, even in their own little veggie patch, going through their herbs and the parsley and they kind of get the measuring tape out and you know, that's a tenth and they cut that off and, 
and they collect all this and they put it in a basket and they carry it in and aren't I great? Look, I don't just tithe that. I, I even tithe my backyard garden. How good am I? But what have they neglected? Verse 23. They've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy and faithfulness. Now notice he doesn't say, well you should have done that instead of that. Look, you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. Yes, you do your tithe. But actually, you've been so focused on measuring your parsley and your cumin that you actually haven't spent any time loving and caring for anyone. You haven't actually been worried about truly being faithful to me. You've been too worried about carving off your herbs. And how easy is it for us to become legalistic like that? Jesus actually, I love the phrase he uses here. He says, you strain out a tiny little gnat, tiny little insect, and you swallow a camel. (laughs) It's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy for us in churches and as Christians to get sort of hooked up on, on particular things in church life, on particular areas of godliness, on particular areas of theology and and all of life and all of godliness and all of theology is really important. It's all important. We can't neglect any of it. But sometimes we can actually use one thing and a fixation on one thing as an excuse to actually neglect a whole lot more. And in this case, to neglect the things that are actually the most important things. I don't know if you've ever uh, felt like this, but uh, I often feel like, and I, I realise, I don't, I don't really quite realise it always at the time, I usually realise it later. It's kind of subconscious, you know, the heart, the sinful nature. Uh, but have you ever felt like you've kind of earned a little bit of sin? Have you ever felt like that? I often feel like that, you know, say I've... You know, I just, just had a really big week. I've done a lot. Maybe I've gone kind of over and above caring for some people or, you know, done, done an extra talk in the week or I don't know. Um, you know, I feel like I've, you know, I've, just, I've done a lot for God lately. And actually, you know, I think, I think I've probably deserved, you know, just a little bit of indulgence in something I know I shouldn't. I don't know if you've ever recognised that at play in your heart and in your mind and in the background, in the subconscious. But it's, it's easy for us to focus on things that are things that matter, but to blinker ourselves to the rest of godliness and think that I can just focus on this one little area and the rest is okay. And actually we need to be thinking about the whole thing, working on godliness in every area. See, for the Pharisees giving to church, they thought they didn't need to worry about serving people. And sometimes I think in churches we we can, and particularly in a Western culture where we're consumerists. We could think, look, how do I contribute to church? Well, I come and I I put money in the offering. And then, you know, that that funds, you know, the pastor and, and other people to come and do the ministry. And particularly in some of the wealthier Sydney churches I've been part of, there can be a bit of a culture where... We pay for you guys to employ pastors to do the work of ministry. 
We, we should give, but actually we, it doesn't mean we don't serve. And sometimes we can do the opposite, can't we? We can, we can serve and think, well, then I don't give. No, Jesus says that's hypocrisy. Verse 25, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're f- they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And ultimately, ultimately this leads to crucifying Jesus. Verse 29, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets. You decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, hey, if we'd lived back in those days, we wouldn't have taken part with them. If we'd lived back there, we we wouldn't have killed those prophets. But actually, verse 31, you're testifying against yourselves that you are from the same family, the same line, the same heritage as those people who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and finish what your ancestors started. See, this hypocrisy ultimately is what leads to them rejecting, condemning, and crucifying Jesus. And not only Jesus, but then after Jesus' resurrection, after the Spirit comes, after Jesus is sending out his disciples into all the world, one after another, they too kill them. These religious leaders are supposed to be the ones who are experts in the scriptures, who are experts in the promises that God has given, who are the ones who have the keenest eyes to be able to spot when the Messiah arrives, to be able to point everyone, here he is, he has finally come. And here are the ones who more than anyone are ignoring the signs and choosing to kill rather than to accept. They will complete the mission that their ancestors started to wipe out all of God's messengers by wiping out the sun. Well, why? Why does hypocrisy lead to this? Why do hypocrites load up burdens, shut the door to the kingdom? Why do they ignore the most important commands? Why do they clean on the outside and kill God's messengers? Have a look at verse 6. It's because actually hypocrites want God's place. Verse 6, they love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But, says Jesus, That's not how it's to be with you. You are not to be called rabbi. We have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father who is in heaven. And nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. Why does Jesus start talking about what we are to call each other? Seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? except when we realise that it's the opposite to what's happening with the Pharisees. What do the Pharisees want? 
They want to be honoured. They want to be recognised. They want the recognition and the praise and the, the position of being actually what only God himself can be. See, God is our true teacher. Jesus is our true rabbi. God is our true father. Jesus is our one and only Messiah. The reason why they clash with him is because they recognise that he is the one who has the position that they themselves want. We see here that actually hypocrisy is incredibly self-focused, isn't it? It's about what I do. It's about how people see me. And it's this self-focus which is why hypocrites don't care for other people. See, for the hypocrite who's only concerned about how people see them and about their status and about... They only care about other people in as far as other people can affect how people view them. They only care about other people in as far as people affect their praise and recognition affects how they see themselves. And that's why they load people up under a heavy weight because they look far more impressive when they look like they've got it together and everyone else is struggling. That's why they can't stand the truth about Jesus. Because Jesus' kingdom is the exact opposite, isn't it? Exact opposite. Jesus' message and his kingdom isn't about us. It's about Jesus. We can't be at the centre. Jesus is at the centre. See, the good news that Jesus brings isn't about us being good enough or convincing God that we're good enough or convincing anyone that we're good enough. The good news that Jesus brings is that we're not good enough, but that he has come and died in our place to rescue us. See, when we recognise the gospel, there's no room for hypocrisy, is there? There's no room for that pride or that self-focus that, that is, the, is where our desire to look better than we are comes from. That's a desire to glorify ourselves. Once we receive the gospel and realise actually it's Jesus who has saved us, Jesus who has rescued us, Jesus who took that burden for us, we can happily let people see our sin and our failure. We can happily let people see that because it glorifies Jesus and it shows how great a saviour he is. He's saved and forgiven us. And we can happily let people see our sin and our struggles because we're a community of people saved by grace. We know that we all need Jesus and we can help and encourage one another to follow him, to go to him for forgiveness and to have that burden taken away. Well, where does hypocrisy end? Verse 12. Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Seven times Jesus declares destruction. That's what woe means. But it actually doesn't have to be. Jesus came to save sinners. He longs, verse 37, to gather his wayward people up. 
And do you know, actually, some of these hypocrites repented. In the book of Acts, we read that there were many Pharisees and priests who came to Jesus and were saved. So there is hope for hypocrites because Jesus is good and gracious. But to those who think they don't need Jesus, to those hypocrites who do clean the outside and not the inside and refuse to come to Jesus, woe. Jesus finishes here with a promise for the city that wasn't willing to accept her king. Have a look at verse 38. Look, Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In just a few days from now, Jesus would be arrested, crucified, buried, three days later rise, but he actually wouldn't be seen alive again by the city who rejected him. Instead, he would return to Galilee, where many would see him. But he wouldn't come back to Jerusalem until they were ready to welcome him as king. Until that time, Jerusalem's house, the nation, the temple, would be left desolate, physically, spiritually. But one day he will gather. One day Jerusalem will join in Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that Jesus is a good and righteous and holy and true saviour. Thank you that he has come in the name of the Lord. And thank you that he has served us. He has not neglected faithfulness, justice and mercy. But in his perfect life, in his obedience to death on the cross and in his death in our place, he has been perfectly faithful, just and merciful. Lord, we pray that you would reveal any hypocrisy in our hearts and that you show us just how wonderful and freeing it is to come to Jesus, to be cleansed and forgiven. Amen.